Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Marathon with Mike and Murph. Uh, we are here on our uh, TBD named uh, series <laughs> on it's going to include Chuck Norris. I think it's our patriotic run, something like that. But we are uh, we're here and we are back to talk about our favorite member of Delta Force, Scott McCoy, in Delta Force Two, the Columbia. Or, I'm sorry, is it Columbia or Colombian connection? Uh, Colombian connection. But I could see why you had a question about that, as this movie has nothing to do with Colombia <laughs> outside of cocaine. Yeah, yeah, that's what they should have called this. Was this was this is the cocaine, the cocaine connection. connection? This is a way better. It's a way better subtitle for this movie. Uh, so the country it does take place in is San Carlos. Which do you think it's San Carlos because Chuck Norris's uh, birth name is Carlos? Yes. Now that I didn't think about that until just now, but yes, I think that's a hundred percent the case. That uh, I well, let me ask you a question: Do you think that Chuck Norris has ever done cocaine? <laughs> oh man, that is a really interesting question, and I I would love to have the real answer to that in a video camera of when it happened because i think no <laughs> i don't think but he has i either. also think there's a chance that like one time he did just because of when he was like an actor and a star like, like he was at a time, party and he kind of had to and it was just like well i guess like i'm gonna just, guess i'll do this <laughs> all right aaron all right aaron i'm gonna do the cocaine aaron but i don't want to do it yeah i don't think he has i, I feel like he's too no. straight laced because because in his earlier 80s movies uh it has him drinking milk and like perriers and stuff like that at a bar and and then even when he's drinking in these movies like his later movies it's like <laughs> him finishing a beer or something like that <laughs> so it's like yeah. very mild it, it, so it, I, I think he's very respectful of his body and I it guess. doesn't feel like he's a good enough actor to where those were like choices for like characters like like it always feels like he's vaguely playing himself <laughs> yes not so, like, those vaguely. are traits of him written into the character although nothing would shock me more if it came out that he had a raging cocaine habit and that's why <laughs> he like veered into like family friendly stuff because he was trying to like he's on recovery you try yeah he was in recovery of that's a good point uh that's a good point but no i i do not think i i would I do like I don't know ten to one. He's never done cocaine. <laughs> I'll t I, I agree. I will take that odds. Those odds with you too. I, I think he's he's too clean cut to uh, to have ever um, abused himself like that. I, I get the sense he's very big on his own his own well being and his own body. And never got so into like the Hollywood system. Was always a bit of an outsider. Yeah, there where he was like really manufacturing his own success to some degree of. He he was always having to do some work to keep these things going. Yeah, yeah. I think um, well, interesting. We'll, we'll talk about it more. But this is directed by. Speaking of doing work, yeah. his brother Aaron, um, who who was the stunt coordinator in a bunch of his movies and or stuntman on a bunch of Chuck's earlier movies. I think on Breaker Breaker, um, which was not canon, but it was an early uh, Chuck movie, and then a few others. I think. And he's also directed some other some other Chuck movies. I don't think I don't think Delta yeah, he, Force Two is his first one with him. No, no, he did. Uh, well, he did some. Uh, he's done a number of Canon movies. I think he did a couple leading up to this for Canon. Um, he did Forest Warrior. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and then he kind of basically did everything. 
Um, he did a bunch of. Uh, they basically became Ranger, a team at some point. Oh, yeah. he, he did Missing in Action three. <laughs> yep, which that's was what he did with Canon. Uh, so, and he directed Sidekicks. Yeah, but man, crazy. I have uh, never. Yeah, seen he that. basically and then does a some. I think he's on like Walker Texas Ranger with. Yeah. Um, I think they both retired off Chuck. of like Walker Texas Ranger uh, uh, royalties is <laughs> like yeah <laughs> a critical a critical cornerstone of the Norris family retirement plan, <laughs> which I, I think that's one of the uh, points in the uh, WGA uh, strike. Oh, if what, Chuck the... Norris and Aaron Norris could retire off residuals. <laughs> we all should be able to. <laughs> it's fair. So that was what today's the second of May. I think second yeah second of May and uh, the... yeah so yesterday I think they. Started they, the strike. They started the strike. Okay, so well, we'll see how it goes. I it, it's a shame they have to do it. I, I think a lot of it centers around issues with um, uh, streaming services and, and and the royalties related to that, right? Uh, it's a whole bunch of things. It's just the way things have changed, and definitely the studios have you have exploited that to short writers and it's just like for like tv like seasons aren't 26 episodes anymore like see there's seasons that are like eight episodes so working on a show is like a third of a job and so and so it's just not easy and then i think there's a lot of uh disgruntled of where the industry is headed one the massive compensation for executives but also the wall street influence where it's not enough to be profitable. It's the push for constant growth. And yeah. so people are coming in and just making cuts. And a lot of those cuts are impacting the below the line talents. And so I think it's kind of, it's going to become a referendum on what is this industry going to be? Is everything going to be like gig work or is it going to be, you can have a career working in the industry? No, fair. I, uh, I hope it gets resolved. I'm uh, I'm curious to see how. The only thing I'd say it's not a bad a bad loss was a lot of the late night stuff uh, just gotten <laughs> canceled. Like, I never, I don't know. I haven't watched that stuff in forever. Yeah, I mean, and the people the working time, on that stuff feel I for. But it, yeah, it's not it a, a Conan. Conan being on NBC was probably the last time I seriously watched late night anything. So um, anyway, Fair. All right. well, uh, Delta Force Two, <laughs> Delta Force Two, the Columbia Connection or Columbian Connection. Um, uh, and this is interesting. I don't think so. This is this is bringing back um, characters from Delta Force One. Really, just one character, actually. At the end of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, really, just McCoy, Scott McCoy, and uh, uh, and this is also <laughs> an interesting inflection point. So it's again, it's a canon movie, and um, I th- well, I guess I, I say that, and I'm not sure if that's the right nomenclature. It, it but, is okay. This, it is this a canon is, movie. It's when they were really financially struggling, but it's after uh, Manayim Golan had left, had left left the company. Who who yeah. was uh, as we discussed at length, uh, very intensely focused on the political dynamics of, of Delta Force One. <laughs> well, and, and also, the is very much the driving vision of the for- of Delta Force. So yeah, <laughs> I, th- this one feels a lot like a a lot less care was put into it um, than the first one. But also, maybe what the first one should have been. <laughs> Uh, it should have been, but I, I there's a part of me that does enjoy the kind of the wild political uh, requirements he levered on the movie to or <laughs> leverage on the movie to to drive the whole plot. So yeah, that that one he's t- this kind of knows what it is to a degree of oh we're it's a, like a Chuck Norris 
B or C grade action movie that, you know, these have been successful in the past. We're trying to hit all the tropes and formula of it. Whereas the first one is a big old swing of like, <laughs> what can we do? <laughs> we got something important to say. This feels like this could be one episode of Miami Vice and not even in like the first season. Uh, Delta <laughs> Force 2 feels like it could be Miami Vice season five when they're like really winding it down and they need a plot where Crockett goes rogue and, and, and Tubbs has to infiltrate Columbia to get him out or something. <laughs> yeah, because... I, I I always forget this is 1990. Yeah, it's like it's like almost past the prime of of the drug stuff. So all like the drug stuff is a real cliche even at this time. Yeah, like there that that feels like canon to me is they're always like a little just too far behind the uh, the curve of what's what's in the zeitgeist. Right, and so they're do- and they're doing it in like the most stereotypical like generic way. It's like Walmart brands, like Lethal Weapon, or yeah, exactly. I, I did look it up because this. I was thinking about this before we we got on a call, but or on on Zoom. But I did look at the other 1990 action movies that were out there that that were that were a bigger deal. And, and some of these maybe are not. I just want to do it for fun because I thought it was funny. But March for Death, which was a Seagal vehicle, <laughs> which I was actually unironically I was watching last night. Um. Uh. And you've got Total Recall. Die Hard 2, uh, Navy SEALs, and I think there was... <laughs> Navy SEALs? Navy SEALs! <laughs> so Delta Force 2 and Navy SEALs going head-to-head. Uh, not in, like, uh, real life, where they're competing for, for the best of the best. Of the best. But, um, yeah, so it's interesting that this comes out 90, uh, and it's only drug-focused because it does feel too little too late, and just, I don't know... If you told me that you you had like a the, a script where a guy has to go infiltrate infiltrate a, a a drug cartel only so he can seek revenge, uh, and then you also had a Delta Force concept and you and they just slapped them together, I would believe that that was how this movie came about. So I um so but I, so I guess speaking of how this movie came about, please, uh, it was. Went through a lot of script iterations. Different stars were offered things. Different things were attached. And then when it finally did get to the point where it was going to get made with Chuck Norris, they rewrote a bunch. And then Cannon had no money and they had to pare the script way down so they could afford the budget. (laughs) Well, Uh, this $16 million budget, which feels insane that they had this much. I find that I struggle to reconcile that with the the quality the movie we we have <laughs> and that's five to six million more than what the original well sorry six right, to that, seven million more that than the doesn't original. feel like you would need to pare the script down for um for a canon movie that feels like plenty of money to i mean i don't know i guess it's 1990 that's probably and, well, and they shot the original all almost exclusively in Israel. So I think it was it was cheaper to produce because they didn't really have location jumps. And uh, I think mm-hmm. some of the the military aircraft they got were maybe donated as, by the Israeli they, army. Um, Gola may have had some connections there yeah. from his career. And yeah, working in Israel. 
but uh this yeah you don't see where the 16 million shows up on well the all the helicopters which then tragically five people died making this movie in a helicopter crash jesus which is not worth it no um, so and... they dedicate the movie to that which is is nice in that but it also is but it's also on like a canon so this also maybe sparked Chuck Norris to make a change in movies he was doing because it was the third helicopter crash in like two or three years on a Canon film set. Oh, God. Right. And and so basically after the Chuck Norris pivoted to like playing cops and not doing like military, army or military. Interesting. And I, I, think that. That de- I think that definitely influenced the the idea of these films can't we're not running the budget to safely to, to do. afford people uh just continuing to die to and, do to keep yeah. the to safely do some of these things and like so i mean credit to him if that to learn a lesson from that but it's like fuck man that, that's, that's pretty heavy of, yeah yeah well what's crazy is the entire third act of this is all predicated on helicopter <laughs> right so i guess that's where all the money went to it must have been just renting, renting helicopters, shooting helicopters. missiles, and exploding. Yeah, it, it feels like uh, the entire third act of Rambo, Rambo Two, <laughs> where it's just uh, uh, somebody in a helicopter shooting missiles and blowing up villages and in and, and killing people. And yeah, so to to me, this felt like Rambo Two with License to Kill <laughs> mixed in. Yeah, taking the worst parts of both. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, we should, we should jump in on, on our, I think we should jump in on our characters because I think there's a lot to talk about <laughs> on the character front. Oh, um, yeah, oh yeah. This, this does. So Lee Marvin passed away. I think Delta force one was his last movie and, uh, he does yes, pass away. Sadly. Uh, sa- yeah, sadly right after this. And they, they still bring back a character and I, I'm not, I don't think it's supposed to be the same character. I'm actually pretty sure it's not the same character. That's the no, general. The gen- yeah. General Taylor. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> um, holy shit, uh, that guy, General Taylor, played by John Ryan, is really swinging for fences <laughs> in this. But but we'll get to that. Um, we should talk about for sure uh, <laughs> the um, opening in Rio. <laughs> the opening in Rio and uh, the very elaborate uh, bad guy At Carnival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd like to talk about. Um, the surveillance van and then um the bad guy that they're watching i think is is a, is a must talk about for <laughs> for so, um for I, I love the surveillance van <laughs> i have such nostalgia for those late 80s 90s surveillance vans the technology of just like the screens the computers like everything all like the hardware in there i just have a very like visceral like pleasant like Mind pleasing reaction into <laughs> seeing those that like analog equipment. Um, so it really hits me in a great spot to open this movie with that punches you right in the dick. Um, wow, yeah, uh, no, I, I uh, same. I, I really was enjoying the, the very extremely well placed cameras that happen <laughs> yeah. to be exactly where uh the bad guy who we're going to talk about 
Well, apparently they weren't well placed. <laughs> uh, well, they were. They weren't. Ramon Cota. <laughs> it, uh, it's a perfectly paced camera of where his car, his limo is going to stop. And they're going to reveal him getting out in a very elaborate um, masquerade costume. Uh, outfitted with a cape. <clears throat> which he will he will put to great use later on in the scene uh, <laughs> in this. And so it, it opens with our, a CIA team. I think it's a CIA team. Oh, it's a surveillance DA? team. D- it's DEA. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and uh, the DEA team is observing him. And they've got guys on the inside of this party. And they've got the surveillance team in the van watching uh, this drug lord, uh, Coda. Er, and uh, they think they've captured him. They're going to trap him and arrest him in the middle of this party. And of course, to their surprise, they, they, they unmask him and it's revealed that it's not Coda. Uh, and what happens? Well, it's a perfect time for a bunch <laughs> of uh, uh, jester costumed uh, yeah, henchmen. Like Harlequin jester. Type, yeah. yeah. To roll up in the alley with Uzis and just unload probably about 9,000 rounds into this uh, surveillance van. <laughs> yeah. And absolutely destroy every single person inside of it and they spend a lot of time showing you how dead and bloody every <laughs> single person in that van is. it's really important you understand how dead all those people are i'd like to call it the movies uh exhibit a and bashing you over the skull with how evil coda is <laughs> And that's only the first. It actually gets way worse after that, too. That's the funny part. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's done enough already. We get it. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, so the, the, the team was being run by uh, DEA agent John Page. It was played by Richard Jackal. Jackal? Jackal? Jackal Jackal? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure what his name is, but um, he comes back to play here soon, but uh, then is it a hard cut after that to McCoy sitting in a restaurant with his? Oh uh, no, because cool, they first they have what you were alluding to with the cape, where they go. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Keep going. Keep they going. go back to Coda, who's like is in one of their security cameras, like unmasks himself, and I forget what he says, but it's like bullshit villain stuff. Of like, <laughs> like you thought you could get me, but I'll be like, when you try, like now you've learned, I'm gonna hit back like ten times harder than you ever could. And then whips the cape out Dracula style in front of his face and like <laughs> disappears. I love it. I, it feels like he only wore the cape, not for a disguise, but only so he could do that in that yeah. moment. <laughs> I love it. It's it, I, I love how uh, so Kodo is played by a guy named Billy Drago or Drago. And he's swinging for the fences in every scene. Um, he, and his accent, his Colombian or San Car- Carlosian accent. Uh, <laughs> Seems to really go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say the San Carlos, you know, uh, located somewhere in Kansas. That's where Billy Drago's from. <laughs> exactly. He, his accent really yeah, comes Carlos and goes. Generic South American place. Yeah. I wish they just made it Valverde. That would have been that would have been perfect. That would have been sweet. <laughs> they they couldn't afford the rights. They probably could. And they probably couldn't pay D'Souza to actually get the rights for Valverde. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, um, I really enjoy uh, Billy Drago as the the uh, villain uh, Coda. I, yeah, he, I think he does a pretty good job. He knows what kind of movie he's in. With a, he, yeah, and he delivers for like it, yeah. And for people who don't know him, he was to, um, he played Frank Nettie, uh, the bad guy, the bad guy hitman in The Untouchables about three years before this. Yeah, and he's had a long career too. Of uh, been he, in he, some other movies, Chuck Norris, but then also just the kind of a bad guy villain 
actor that you see pop up pretty frequently. yeah i think i feel yeah he's also an in invasion usa he's the guy who gets shot in the dick um <laughs> oh, which Jesus. we he does I hope, that's what, I hope that's what the credit is <laughs> no he has got he's got a real name in that but um he's got he plays mickey in uh, invasion usa <laughs> but yeah i'm really excited to talk uh to talk about him in that but yeah he he was kind of a b b actor in a bunch of stuff they could be movie uh, staple for for a time for a long time and yeah. uh yeah. um he he's he's going for it and everything he's in but it does make me laugh i think we'll talk about it at the very end but his accent his supposedly uh uh south american accent really comes and goes depending yeah. on on what, how much inflection he has to put in his voice and uh i think we'll probably get into some character choices for him as well that are yes have maybe not <laughs> aged are. so well but are very of the time um they just say well, the cape I, the cape swirl is not the uh last uh maybe a little flamboyant <laughs> characteristics on his part. But yeah. And he, he leaves you with a lot of questions. I'll say that for his acting <laughs> choices and maybe who the character of, uh, of Coda is actually supposed um, to be, but no, but to, I, I do think you're correct. I think it leaves this to a hard cut close up of Chuck Norris at the Chinese restaurant. <laughs> so Chuck Norris is in an upscale ch- uh, Chinese restaurant. I think it's in Miami and he's, eating with his friend bobby which is weird because uh steve james played a guy named bobby on delta force one so oh, it was like they yeah. should have brought him I sh- this they is should like, have they brought, him, brought back. him back yes they should have brought james him back. a way better actor than this guy he is <laughs> he passes away several years after this comes out but he was around so i wish they had kept it i wish they brought him back uh as the real bobby that's how I'm gonna yeah. refer to him from now on as the real. Bobby. That would have tied into the original. Is that this has like, yeah, other than the name, this has really no connection to the original. No, there and there's really that there. That's that's a good point. Is they make a big deal about the team in the first one, and then here it's really all just Chuck Norris, and there's nothing yeah, else. There's the one man army Rambo style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, uh, of course, in a very high end Chinese restaurant, what do you have? You have street punks that are. Picking on the owner and beating him up for no good reason, uh, which is, of course, what I, which feels like that's all the 1980s were was punks yeah. <laughs> causing problems in nice places. But it's like such the stereotypical world, the target audience for a Chuck Norris movie and visions. It's what they're what they're worried about, why they get nervous to go to like the wrong, like a bad neighborhood place or something or like. There's gonna be these young punks who hassle people. Um, it's a carried over so trope. It's their like wet dream to have, yeah, Chuck Norris teach them a lesson, literally. Right. And I think I think he makes a bunch of quips about how he's teaching them a lesson in manners. It's like, like a that. motivational seminar <laughs> or something, <laughs> like an educational seminar. Like, yeah. So the uh, the owner gets his ass kicked, and then Chuck Norris beats these guys up, and then also destroys a bunch of furniture in in the restaurant in the process. My question: Do you think Which, that he that he tipped the guy, or do you think that that Scott McCoy is cocky enough that he thinks his tip was saving that guy's life? Oh, he a hundred percent thinks his tip was saving that guy's life. I'm not even sure if he pays for his meal. Uh, I think you're right. That's probably true. But, I uh, I also we should also talk about this introduction again of Bobby and his wife. Who seem to be very (laughs) sexually charged and very in love in this. However, I will say during the fight, 
Bobby's wife seems extremely turned on by she all of the She basically tells him, like, watching on. him do this, my panties are getting wet. It's like, <laughs> I don't, that's not like line for line, but like, that's it's implied. She just about what she's saying. <laughs> she yeah. could not find a hotter 50 year old man kicking a 25 year old <laughs> guy's ass. She uh, is very turned on by his weird mullet and um, his red blonde beard uh that uh he's rocking in this so it's it's it, it is, is funny it, like how him bobby aroused, seems to understand <laughs> um and so we get a good sense that okay bobby's his friend it's his one of his ex delta force buddies or, or current delta force buddies they never really explain if if mccoy is still active active duty or like yeah, yeah because what he, are they because they seem to be chilling until they get like called up for like yeah badass missions <laughs> yeah it's like oh we got we got somebody we need to get taken out great let's just get mccoy what's he doing i don't know he's eating chinese food and kicking people's he's, ass he's just on retainer like yeah <laughs> who's watching the mccoy farm <laughs> Ooh, i guess he yeah. sold it Maybe he did sell it. Maybe he uh, yeah. sold it and moved to Miami. But this does set up what's supposed to be kind of the motivator for the entire movie, which is um, uh, Bobby and his wife, who <coughs> should should not be the focal point of this, but they are. Um, <laughs> and I think, uh, remind me, so uh, Coda, he... Um, uh, he escapes the DEA, and it is the, the DEA. Yes, the DEA. Yeah, well, and then we're leaving the, out how they capture him, though. <laughs> well, so that is that. That's what happens, right? Is the DEA brings McCoy and Bobby back in to capture yeah, Coda to get to get Coda. Who after, yeah, after this hit he does on the surveillance team? Yeah. Uh, oh well, we, we we better get Scott McCoy. And, and so yeah, and, and, I, get, and I guess Bobby <laughs> and a guy in a in a fishing vest. <laughs> 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 to go take down a drug kingpin but i i go back to this is cracks me up so it's a cool idea the idea is that coda has bought out the the first class pa- uh, cabin of an of a commercial airliner <laughs> flying back to uh his home country of san uh, carlos although you had a great point <clears throat> why yeah, private why? jets existed in 1980s right like why is he flying commercial he's supposed to be like the richest drug dealer in the world <laughs> like he could just buy the airline like, he could I, my boss had a have... 19, my boss had a 1990 gulfstream 4 and it was a nice ass jet even in 2017 like it was yeah. still a really nice airplane <laughs> coda could afford 10 of those he's like pablo escobar but yeah <laughs> he should not need to fly need commercial <laughs> no so I, I think it's just a funny setup, but it were I get it. Wait. It's a funny setup. No, but I, it's a good it's a good plot. It's a it's a good action movie device, and actually, it's kind of taking lights on license to kill. It's taking license to kill and kind of taking that to another level. That's true. Um, which was what the year before this eighty nine. Yeah. So, but where... so their plan is they that this flight he's going to be on very briefly passes through U.S. airspace, <laughs> so they can le- so they can legally take him. So uh, Scott McCoy and Bobby are on the plane and uh, invade the first class cabin, beat the shit out of his bodyguards, easily take him beat, down below. His bodyguards, up. yeah. And um, and so uh, there's a few, there's a number of like, and on IMDb trivia, a number of like goofs about this scene, and some are slightly annoying. Like, all right, whatever, it's a movie, and some are like yeah that's kind of a mistake or like that's kind of a problem so 
it's a commercial flight. You couldn't just open up the <laughs> the back of that plane. Like there wouldn't be enough air up there. It would de- de- depressurize the plane. Like this would be a night- <laughs> this would be like a nightmare if you did this. Um, so Scott McCoy kills an entire plane full of Americans. Is what you're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so they so they take Coda. They and Coda's like mouthing off to McCoy. Um, about like, well, you, you can't really like touch me or like, you know, I'm jurisdiction. And so McCoy just shoves him out of the plane with no parachute, which is a pretty baller move. Uh, and then he dives off after him and has to catch him with the with his parachute, and they it obviously land. But that's one of my favorite lines of the movie. The <laughs> general is watching him <laughs> through binoculars. <laughs> He's watching all this, and this is like. Kind of his disposition to the whole movie. Obviously, he has such confidence in McCoy. He's never worried. He's just enjoying the hell out of this because everything he just laughs to himself. He's like, always the hard way. I know it's like everything that 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 McCoy does that's horrible <coughs> gets treated like, oh, that rascal. I yeah. can't believe that McCoy's doing that. It's yeah, weird. Uh, it's weird how much credibility he gets and. We're about to talk about it, man. But this general is in, in is in three different <laughs> movies in this, and none of them overlap with what Delta Force Two actually is. <laughs> but um, so, all right, so we're getting where how they get Coda into the country. He's going on trial, but he's released on like ten million dollar bail or something. In there, and then and Bobby, like, oh, that's like slugs him. Change Dakota slugs him in, fly, who also in the middle of commercial. Court. He flies commercial. I will say I do want to go back to that stun for a second because we I was talking about my notes, but <laughs> oh yeah, it, it, it is like frustrating how bad it is because it's 1990. If you go back about 11 years in Moonraker, they do almost the exact same stunt. Yep, uh, and it's way better done. You know, it, it they I think it took when they did Moonraker. I think it took them like 80 80 uh, jumps to actually pull off the, the full all of the shots they had they had to do. To, to make it work but and you know you can see st- that there are times you can be like oh that's not jaws that's yeah that's it's, a little stunt that richard keel it's it's uh mm-hmm. it's definitely a stunt guy yeah, with a really bad mouthpiece for the but, most part they like yeah like but yeah they make it work and, and they're using a, a um you know uh edits between stuff that's shot on a, a studio set and then what's actually shot practically in the air and here it's like when they kick uh uh coda out they focus, and all you see for a lot of the shots is like he's blatantly got a parachute, big parachute strapped under his clothes that never makes well, you feel like this is actually like a real danger. And it's just, uh, and then, I don't know. And then they do some close ups of Chuck Norris's stunt double. It's yeah. Like, that's obviously not Chuck Norris. Like, what Who do you, you think doing? has more, more screen time in, in, in this, Chuck Norris or his, his stunt <laughs> double? Because it feels like there's a lot of. Yeah, I'll get a bit of that stunt, double. <laughs> stunt doubles. Yeah, all throughout this. But anyway, sorry, I, I, I'll I'll jump back. So, Coda uh, gets out on bail. Bobby punches him in the face, and then we go to what seems to be a high school basketball game. Oh, it it, it is indeed. <laughs> and uh, it is. This is to me the most questionable part of who is this person who's playing in the basketball game that they're so focused on and. I hate to even spoil it by saying it now because I kind of want to run through the scenes just because. Well, do it. Let's, no, let's wait. Maybe we'll, we'll, I wait. we'll wait. We'll wait. Let's wait. No, no, no. no. Maybe I missed it, but 
I really don't think at any point they sh- say what say what this relationship is. It's just Bobby and I think it's Rita, his wife, fiance. Rita's his wife. wife. Rita's his wife. Yeah, and, she, know, and, and Rita's Rita's pregnant because he keeps rubbing oh, her stomach did, and talking did, about. Did they his, remind his, us of that a son. few times? <laughs> uh, at least once. At least once. And, and, and Bobby's seen, there with them. Bobby seems super horny by the fact that she's pregnant yeah. too, which is really weird. Yeah, he's, they're just a horny couple. That's I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, they're like the horniest, most in love couple, like infatuated with each other I may have ever seen in a movie. <laughs> like, like that's the dream relationship. Like, <laughs> and they make it clear that Bobby does not pull out, so it's really it's going really well for them. <laughs> so, apparently, this this high school basketball game, the kid they're watching, apparently, it's Bobby's brother. I don't think at any point they tell us that. I thought it was and his son for the first, he, first right, time I watched that, this. Because that's what the age difference seems. It seems like he's his son from like a first marriage. Yeah, Bobby's conservatively 45 in this. And it, right. the guy it, who's well, playing... Because this... Chuck Norris is 50, in it, basically. <laughs> and like, he, so Bobby's playing his partner. So they are I, uh... grown-ass men. Um, But yeah, it, it, it's weird. It's weird how much... Chuck Norris is exactly 50 years old when they're making this. Actually, yeah, okay. Which is crazy. And so it's bananas. You're trying to figure out who this kid is because they're congratulating him. And then he goes home with them. It's like, okay, is it is it Bobby's son? Like it seemed to but he's talking to the to Rita and he's calling her Rita. And uh so so while that's all going on, and I'm trying to figure out what the fuck this relationship is. <laughs> Scott McCoy and Bobby are off picking up some pizza for dinner. When, I know uh, the, the best part is the, the the scene is Rita and this kid setting plates, and then they cut to Bobby got like a fucking Domino's pizza in his lap. It's like <laughs> yeah. you have to set plates like at a dining table for for having having pizza. Hey, it's the 1980s. Don't tell, them, don't tell them how to have dinner. Well, I guess it's the nineteen. It's nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. We still had sit-down Pizza Hut restaurants, so I guess maybe it's still like there we considered go. Yeah. a semi-formal, semi-formal. Still an dinner. occasion. <laughs> yes, still is. We're excited. Holy shit! You got breadsticks? Oh shit! <laughs> oh man, I could go for some pizza breadsticks. This sounds fantastic right now. Yeah, I haven't had some, I haven't had any Pizza Hut in a while, um, and I, nah, I could go for either. some too. Yeah. All right, after this podcast, we'll no meet pizza up at the Pizza Hut. hut. <laughs> pizza uh, of the Hut. Uh, so, so but while they're gone. Coda and his henchmen show up to get revenge for them coming after them, and and to show how evil Coda is. Which I guess we've left out some of the evil Coda stuff, so I have to circle back on that. Uh, but Coda, it's not even like a lot of times in these scenes, like they'll cut away, like it, but it's pretty quick. Coda just comes in and he's like just shoots him in the face. It's like done, man. Like, which he's not not he fucking around. Doesn't even seem that upset that, that this kid's dead. Well, right. So, still trying to figure out what this relationship is with this kid. So Bobby gets home, and he's they're wheeling out <laughs> this kid on a stretcher, and Bobby sees him has absolutely no like, reaction, no reaction, no reaction to seeing his <clears throat> dead. His Arguably, dead somebody brother. he's known longer yeah. than he's known Rita. <laughs> Right. That, 
it should be devastating, heartbreaking. But sees him and immediately is just like unfazed, and then is like, "Wait, Rita!" <laughs> and then total, total mental breakdown, finding out Rita's dead. Yep, screaming on the lawn, uh, slamming his fist into the ground, just losing his shit, absolutely losing his shit. He's like, I feel bad for this brother because there's no, you never seen any parents, so I don't like I don't know where the parents are, but they weren't at the basketball game. They didn't come for pizza after the basketball game, so it seems like maybe they're not in the picture. Nope. And apparently, this kid's brother doesn't give a shit about him. So it's like, man, I, this kid seems to not have the best life. Uh no, maybe maybe he's adopted or something like that, and we just we just they just never <laughs> spend enough time talking about that, but. No, he probably has a bad life. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's just such like it'd just be so easy to write like two or three lines to just like make that relationship be something. No, Mike, that's too much effort. That's it's way too much effort because we have twenty minutes of a useless third act uh, uh, prologue. We have to tack onto this <laughs> yeah. to <don't> resolve anything. <laughs> But so obviously this, this sets Bobby <clears throat> off on a, on a mission of revenge. You after Coda. Um, but before we get into that, uh, we 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 skipped over a scene. Uh oh. Um. So I know we oh, talked about some we of the did. bad we stuff did. Coda has done. We did. You're right. We got to talk. I was trying. I thought that but... came after. You're right. That's before we got to talk. And about we it. skipped. Oh, we also skipped over the undercover guy. Oh my god! There's so much going on in this movie. The undercover. Wait, wait, wait. Which? Oh, we did. You're right. The the the, the number two, the guy who's a polo play. He's the triple threat. He's a polo player. He's a DA agent, and he's a uh, a fake uh, uh, drug drug henchman. And may or may everything. not be Coda's lover. And maybe Coda's lover. <laughs> so maybe a quadruple threat. Yeah. Which, I, I I don't even know where to start. With either of these, because they're all it's all so insane <laughs> over the top. And there's like 16 things happen in a four minute scene that is like would be the craziest thing in any other movie. And it's just like one of many. <laughs> it's like, what is happening? It's it's too much. All of it's just too much. It's way too much. And I think. I don't even know what the uh the henchman or I'm sorry the the side the um what do you call it uh the the double agents uh okay it's Hector a guy named Hector Mercado um uh he he's there in the, in this scene that you're talking about where it's Coda coming back after he's he's broken out of uh or he's been released from custody and he escapes the United States after he's killed Bobby's wife No and- no no it's when he's coming back from Rio because this is is it cause, yeah because this is how he finds out that this guy is the double agent because he's the only one who knew the travel plans oh when the he, he kills him, him right after this that's right i know i and i i believe me i get why you would not have no it's not it's, it's not because rem- together because all right i'm not gonna argue because it doesn't matter because because we're, we're arguing over the 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 timeline of a movie that already yeah. is is batshit crazy. So I'm not gonna. So I'm moving on. Moving on. All right. But yeah, so they they're in the car together. Like the, this guy, I think he's Miguel in the movie. I think um, so. He comes in like the 
boss's car and picks him up when he arrives and they're driving back to like their drug headquarter compound thing and they're just talking and Coda is so physically affectionate with him. He's very handsy. That is like they have like a relationship which so this a is sexual like a, relation. Like, let's be clear, a sexual yeah. relationship. Yes, it is yes. clear they have a sexual relationship together. <laughs> Which is a little problematic because it's very much like an 80s trope of like, oh, we can have a gay character, or even a 90s trope. Mm-hmm. We can have a gay character, but he's gonna be the bad guy because it's and gonna be ex- part of like, eccentric. That's gonna be part of his like deviance and like yeah. it's, it's it's like, oh mm-hmm. like, that's not the best portrayal. Um but in this, I think there are ways they could have explored it where it would have worked. Where it's like, oh, this is why he trusts this guy so much, why he was able to infiltrate so deep into his organization. Because not only is he like no he's like number two guy, but they also have like an intimate relationship. And then I thought they could have used that as well for the scene we're coming up to. So. <laughs> Coda stops the car because they're going by like a plantation where they're harvesting the drugs or whatever, however that works. They're harvesting uh, the coca for, for to and, be made into cocaine. Yeah. And this woman's not working because she's like nursing her baby. Who's and, sick. Yeah. And Coda gets out and is like, Flip it, why isn't she working? And they like, they rip the baby away from her. So the woman, the baby's father, the woman's husband, who's also out in the field, comes like running after them to be like my baby and they murder him <laughs> and then coda is like it said take take the woman bring her to my chambers <laughs> and like and we find out later that like oh, yeah, and, he, and, and get rid of the baby get rid of the baby right so get like, rid of the baby they want to kill so, the baby and it's just like so it's like it's like they do this a lot with coda but it's like Oh, I guess this is the bad guy. <laughs> Wasn't sure the murderous drug dealer. Yeah, let, let, let's let's go down the list here. So, in the course of two minutes, we see him himself murder somebody, order a child to be killed, order people to continue harvesting cocaine or the product that, the products that make cocaine, and then uh, rape a woman who he's just destroyed the family of in, in, in about a two minute span. So it, yeah. he. If you needed to know how bad this guy is, they very heavily lay it out for you that you should hate this person. Okay, so here's my idea of how you could sort of make the, if you were going to make him gay, how you could sort of make that work. Have him, so the have him go back and the woman's in his room and he doesn't rape her, but is like very threatening puts a knife to her throat or something is like like when you leave here like like you tell them i raped you or like the baby like i kill your baby because he's trying to cover up in this uber macho world he's trying to protect violent his world that he has to be the most macho guy most violent intimidating guy all the time to cover up for something that would make him vulnerable in this world um and i was like oh like maybe something like that you could get away with having your villain be his main one of those characteristics being obviously 
Uh, <clears throat> he, he's scared of his own masculinity. Yeah, that was something. Like, it's like, had some depth and to the character or something. I think I don't know if you'd fully get that portrayal right, but like I don't know, it'd be interesting. Like it's like, but no, no, he's just the most evil person on the planet, and apparently has a physical relationship with his undercover with his, with his employees yeah. all of his employees because he does it to the other guy at the end other the other bat henchman at the end so i, I think so, it's just it, it is just coda he's real uh, rapey with all of his people yeah but uh and so some of the diehard on a podcast we, we talked about like the lens they'd go to especially like past year 57 to like make the villain evil and this is like just I, I I don't even know anything that comes close to what this is doing. <laughs> well, and then it gets worse. I mean, like we'll get to it at the end, but like it gets worse. Like they just keep going with it. It's yeah, not even like yeah. a okay, this is all you see, and then you're you you're just left with the idea that he's evil. It's it just gets he gets e- eviler and eviler as the whole thing goes. I mean, it's crazy how how heavy handed they are with telling you this. Before, you know, the whole movie. It, it gets to where he's like such a sociopath. It's like, how does he have a functional organization? Oh <laughs> like, uh, yeah, because he's raping and killing all of his people <laughs> like constantly. Like yeah, like and like no one's phased by this. It seems like this happens all the time. Yeah, and that's I mean like the only person they show reacting to it from his henchmen are the guy who's a double agent, Miguel. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's just man, it's strange, just so strange. Um, all right, so back to Bobby. Bobby. So, Poor, so you know, Bobby, dumb, beautiful Bobby. <laughs> would you describe him as someone the first time you saw him? Were you, were you like, oh, that guy, that character, he's going to live through the whole movie? Uh, no, <laughs> everything you... about everything about Bobby screams, I'm going to die at the first <laughs> at the first turn in this plot. <laughs> That's, I love his character so much because it's so telegraphing. Like he's going to be used for motivation for McCoy. Yeah. And how do they get rid of him? Okay. I think this is your favorite part. So I'm curious. I want to hear you describe your, what I think is your favorite part of this movie, your favorite, your favorite <laughs> device in this movie. So Koda ends up capturing Bobby and some other DEA agents. And <laughs> during, during a business meeting with his associates, where he explains how he knows that Miguel is the is the undercover agent who did this and murders Miguel. Also reveals he has right off his dining room in his home <laughs> a a secret uh gas chamber death room where he not has even, Bobby. I mean, it's it's not even secret. It is not a secret. It, I feel like anybody who's been to his house once has seen somebody die in that, in that gas chamber. <laughs> So yeah, is so. Do you think that's just a that's, that's just a window, right? It's not like a one way mirror or anything. No, or I, like, I think it's a window. I think it's I a think window. It's, yeah, where they just looking at Bobby tied up in basically a dungeon, except it's looking out on like a very nice '80s drug dealer home uh, that has a giant vent in it to pump in <laughs> death gas. Death gas. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to have very varying levels of effect. On different characters, yeah. <laughs> Bobby seems to succumb to it very quickly. Whereas later in the movie, we see uh, Chuck Norris somehow manage to to inhale it but not die. I don't I don't <laughs> quite understand how that works. So I, I was very curious what that does, like the resale value of a home. Uh, uh, well, it depends on who you're selling to. If yeah, you're selling to a, a very uh, true. 
if you're selling to a despot that that lives on the top of a hill, you're probably doing pretty well. Like, uh, uh, I was trying to think of who it was. Um, uh, uh, who is the guy who owned the house? Because I know you researched it. Um, oh, it, that it, it, it was, was, it was uh, Fra- Francisco. Like the Philippines, I think. Yeah, it was, um, it was Francisco uh, Marco. That was uh, that was the Philippines pre- Phil- uh, Filipino president at the time, and he built the house for Ronald Reagan as like a guest house. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Philippines dictator Ferdinand Marcos uh, built it as a guest house for President Ronald Reagan. <laughs> now, so I, I saw some conflicting things with that, though, saying that the house was built in 1979, which would have been before Reagan was president. But um, I don't know; it's close enough. Where uh, I'll, I'll buy it, or maybe maybe yeah. it was built for something else, and he just decided that's who he's going to use it for. But I did, yeah, I did enjoy it that. As a... that... Yeah, it's this. It's that. I guess that's who you can sell it to. You can either sell it to another drug dealer, or you can sell it to, uh, or you can use it for hosting presidents. Also, like, it's very funny given like Reagan's kind of spearheading a lot of like the war on the drugs war on drugs. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little ironic that he would. Yeah, uh, I, so, uh, I, I have I have more questions about this, the, the, <laughs> the the gas chamber <laughs> that's dining room adjacent. Please, let's talk about it. I, I just want to know, like, when they, <clears> you know. Because this house is at like the top of like a mountain thing, so when they go to like do a grocery store run, like they're they're buying bulk, <laughs> so they come back and they're like can't fit stuff in like the regular pantry or in cupboards, like and they're like ah just stick that stuff in the the gas chamber for now, and I, uh, we'll just move it if 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 he's got someone he needs to kill in there, or, like <laughs> I just well, want to was... know like what what is, in like uh, the day to day existence of the people who like run this house, what they. <laughs> what they do with it like you know it's a lot of like empty space most of the time See, that ends up getting filled up in most people's homes well that was my and thought like, was oh, it... we, we got to move the ping pong table out of there we got to get this DA agent <laughs> in the... <laughs> i feel like it could have been like a really good wine cellar if you're gonna if you're gonna repurpose that space for something else that's what i would do with it i mean obviously it's... with that being able to pump that gas in there you'd climate control it pretty easy <laughs> you could you could so, and yeah, I think yeah. it, it's it's clear, so you could do something decorative in terms of a uh, like yeah, a, yeah, I like it, like a, a really fancy wine rack. So I <laughs> I, I think I think um, it, it's a good pantry so long as you don't you don't like leave your food in there when the gas is actually actually <laughs> running on anybody. Uh, that is, I, 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 that's, it, it was a fun. <laughs> Somewhat unique touch in the movie. Uh, I, I love the idea that it's the, at the end of a dining table, and it's actually my background photo right now. And so, yeah. when they're not using it, like what what is what is Coda telling people that is in that room? Uh, <laughs> like, is it just a wall they put they you know, put something in front of? They maybe hang up some art to to, to distract people. I don't know. Yeah, I strange. feel like even Coda on a regular night for dinner doesn't necessarily want to be just like staring into like the the death room. Probably not, you know. Probably not. It's probably gonna be a little bit of a bummer, a little bit of a buzzkill if you're trying to have a nice dinner. But I also don't know if. Um... Well, never mind. I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on a weird, weird dining, uh, weird tangent. So I'm gonna stop. Fair enough. It, it is right. weird. It is a very strange touch for for Coda, and we are we are an hour almost into this in terms of talking about it. We haven't even gotten to most of the plot of this. Ah. Uh. I don't know. I think we're pretty close to halfway. 
Well, we've got the well. So, all right. So, so the plot is here. Uh, Bobby is gassed to death, and um, the actor <laughs> is really laying it on thick with how bad he's choking in this and screaming and shouting, and that you're they're not gonna. I think he says they're not gonna forget me. They're gonna come for you too, or something like that. And uh, um, what I really enjoy is uh, they call they. This cuts to I think after Bobby's. Uh, you watch Bobby spitting up blood and, and pass out <laughs> in coda's gas chamber <laughs> the the general general taylor um he calls in with the dea agent calls in or no the DA agent's dead i'm sorry uh captured at this point i'm sorry yeah. taylor calls in uh um mccoy and uh mccoy's like getting feedback that basically there's a small window where they're going to be allowed to go into the U S is going to be allowed to go into uh, San Carlos. And this is after general Taylor loses his shit in a press conference and basically rips all of San Carlos and it's, and it's uh president and it's military, a new asshole for being corrupt in a public forum and calls in McCoy. McCoy is asking questions about this, uh, this potential invasion. And what does the general do? He gets mad and he stands up, doesn't announce what he's doing, puts it in, in the VCR, the tape that <laughs> that Coda sent the military of Bobby being murdered in this gas chamber. So no prompting. Chuck Norris has to watch his best friend die horribly on camera without without the, with no warning would, whatsoever. Would you say he he handles this well? <laughs> his, he his reaction is like measured and collected or he handles it well in the sense of uh, uh, having no emotion of his best friend dying. Now, I think that so if you from, from an emotional maturity standpoint, Norris does a great job uh, uh, carry, uh, you know, uh, reacting to the scene. <laughs> but then McCoy's a subsequent actions might might lead you to think he is a little upset. <laughs> Well, so I think you this this takes us to a rumor or not rumor, <laughs> rumor, a theory you had. Do you think that uh, McCoy was secretly in love with either Bobby, his wife, and or both of them? Oh, not at all. I think they were both in love with him. <laughs> <laughs> it was a one way street. Yeah, I, I think he was oblivious to it. <laughs> I, I think one I, night I, I could believe that they had a little too much to drink and like things got out of hand, and McCoy was like, "Oh wow, that got weird." And then moved on with his life. And the other two were like, we got to make that happen again. That was awesome. Which leads me to believe that 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 Rita was pregnant with Scott McCoy's child, not Bobby's. <laughs> so. so so after Scott McCoy sees this, and they're, they're making their, like, we have a window, we can go in. But Scott McCoy is still pretty pissed off. And he's going to take that. <laughs> so what you can't you just save want? that anger. Kind of on this. You can't just save that anger for when this. he gets to San Carlos. <laughs> So he goes to an army base and just beats the shit out of a bunch of <laughs> army guys in like training. And it's like a training exercise thing, but he just takes and beats the shit out of them. We're like, there are guys who seem to maybe have broken limbs and like no intro to definitely. what he's doing. No intro to what he's doing. It's just beating the shit out immediately of cuts to him beating up like army guys. And, like I will say go ahead. supposed to be like training for the mission. It's like, but <laughs> this is like training. But they do this montage twice. <clears throat> and that's yeah. what's crazy is the first one, there's no introduction to what's happening or why he's beating these guys up. 
It's just him in a in fatigue yes. pants and a, and a tank top beating up other people in the oh, exact same outfit. Yeah, but extrapolating he, his he's in an emotional place where he needs to like take out his anger, but like he's doing it on his like fellow soldiers who like yeah he's beating up an nothing. entire platoon. Yeah, he, <laughs> like, he's just yeah. he's choking people out. He's breaking arms. He's he's uh, cowboy tossing people over his shoulder. He, he's seriously hurting these people and. Oh, there's you don't at least know two why. guys who definitely had concussions and may have long-term like health problems. Oh yeah, no, he, he. I think he. I think he definitely killed and/or at least maimed a couple of his uh, fellow soldiers. <laughs> and that that that's the build-up to uh, McCoy, uh, along with the general being deployed down to to San Carlos. I assume down to. I guess I don't know really know where it's at. Uh, but <laughs> um, the general. I think this is my favorite. This is my favorite scene is uh, Scott McCoy is getting a debrief on all of the intel they've received. And the general gets a call on the red phone and he leaves this this secure uh, uh, intel room that's basically his office. And he comes back in and he is celebrating like he won the goddamn Olympics by himself for them for America. He is so excited to tell McCoy that the president. He showed the president the video of Bobby dying and the president is so angry. He's created a window for them to go down to San Carlos and all the general can do. If you told me that this guy was sporting wood because he was so excited <laughs> yes. that he gets to go to another country and kill people, I would believe you. What? All, that is all, not he, an he's exaggeration. He's so excited. That is he's so excited. The, yes. It's the most, it's the weirdest, it's the weirdest take on how his character should be. It's the last take on how his character should be acting in this movie uh, of, of being excited that some guy died so that it justifies him deploying troops to go murder people in another country. It's so it's so weird. It's like, it's like this guy, for whatever reason, missed out on action in Vietnam and has been getting shit for it for 20 years. And he's like, finally, I'm going in. I'm going to see some action. And those fuckers won't be able to say, like, I never did combat. Or, like, he's like, if he's you sw- just, like over the moon that this is happening. If you swapped him with Lloyd Bridges from uh, from Hot Shots, you would, not, <laughs> you would not lose anything on the performance and the level of, like, absurdity that he's bringing to this role. Like, it, it, if he was playing it for comedy, you can't tell if it's playing for comedy or if he's seriously like, this is how we want you, you know, Aaron Norris is on the day like you need to be ecstatic yeah. that we're going to go kill a bunch so, of Colombians. So my question on on this is, is John Ryan making the exact right choices he should be making <laughs> for being in Delta Force <laughs> Two, the Colombian connection? Like, is he the only like is he, I think actually in, in uh, him Coda and Coda, well, him and Coda, <laughs> Billy Dragon, like, are they the only two performing the way you should be performing in this movie? Or is he an unhinged maniac? <laughs> I think I think you're. I think he's acting at the level of what's being expected of him in this movie. He's like, man, that script, pretty crazy, man. Like, <laughs> that's what we want. Because <laughs> he he's also a kind of a, a B action movie guy. He was in a Lorenzo Lamas movie just to kind of kick that Ooh. off. <laughs> he did a voiceover for Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. He does seem like he'd be a good voice actor. <laughs> I think that's probably what his wheelhouse is. And he's also in Best of the Best. So I, I think, um, yeah, he he's he's going really big. And he and actually, a, after this scene, 
he never lifts off the throttle. Like he is just flat yeah. out the entire movie after this. He is unfucking hinged for the entire thing. He's I like love I love he's it. He's like a 16-year-old boy in like a whorehouse. <laughs> Level of excitement where like, oh, I can go 48 hours full on, full hard on. <laughs> I am so excited. Well, so this, I will so, not wear down. And he doesn't. He truly enjoys no. murdering people. And we're going to talk oh, about he it. He only gets second, happier. He does. And it, we're going to talk about it. He really enjoys blowing up a village that that's, belongs to a very uh, <laughs> passive, innocent group of people in this. Yeah, he actually goes and gives Coda a run for his money on, on wor- the most yeah, worst person. Shit in his movie. Yeah, yeah. He, he really does. He really does. So, um, uh, so this is what gets us to to San Carlos, where. Uh, <laughs> also, no, no, wait. Uh, go go for it, Co. Let's talk. Uh, I, I will talk about the general, the general for an hour. While we're on the general, there, I think they're in San Carlos for this, but uh, he's like, deep, like he's briefing McCoy on on this what he's going to need to do. And he's like, all right, here's your contact. He's like, well, how do I know I can trust her? And the con, and obviously the contact is a woman. Oh, we've seen before. He's like, well, oh, God. well, Coda murdered her husband, killed her baby and raped her. So I don't think she has any, uh, like a love for him. He's like, but maybe don't bring that out, bring that stuff up. He's probably pretty sensitive about it. <laughs> even <laughs> even worse. He talks about how Coda used the baby's body to smuggle oh, cocaine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, that's the icing on the cake of this whole Coda thing of <laughs> he used a dead baby's body to smuggle cocaine. It's 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 one it's which a hat on a hat on a hat on a hat and they add one more hat. Is also completely needless. Like Coda runs a massive drug smuggling operation. What? What? what like, what's like, a baby gonna? What give him? need would he have for, to do that? <laughs> like, yeah, none. It's 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 just it's <laughs> terrible writing and exposition to tell you how horrible he actually is. Um, but like, but the way the general delivers the line, it's like a joke. <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> and it's like, well, now you're kind of a shitty person too. <laughs> like. <laughs> Oh, don't worry. He proves himself out to be really shitty yeah. as we keep going. Um, and this gets us down to, to San Carlos. And we meet um, uh, Ernesto, who's a, uh, uh, a lackey for the for the uh, San Car- Carlosian government. I'm assuming that's how you say their name. Uh, San Carlos. <laughs> Good Carlosian old Ernesto. Government. And uh, uh, that's actually pretty funny because he's supposed to be distracting um, uh, General Taylor and uh, uh sort of being a, a distraction to make sure the Americans don't do anything, any military action in San Carlos. Uh, meanwhile, our, our boy Scott McCoy is climbing and what they're calling an unclimbable cliff <laughs> uh, to get to uh, Coda's lair. He's been assisted by, and I don't actually have her name, um, but uh, the, the poor woman mm-hmm. whose husband and child were killed earlier in the movie. And then she was raped. She, I think her name is um, uh, Kikwina uh, Estoquala. I probably butchered that, but um, uh, she she's come she comes back and she's sort of the uh, the uh, koi character from Rambo Two, which is the local that's supposed to take him around. 
and um uh, she gets gets McCoy basically climbing up the mountain and then uh uh heads back to the village and then uh M- McCoy is supposed to climb to the top of this unclimbable mountain and there he is going to help facilitate the the escape of these DEA agents that were kidnapped when Bobby was kidnapped and killed and um basically uh make way for the delta force to to break into this compound <laughs> which is uh there's a lot of fun in that too but um <laughs> yeah. uh yeah so uh mccoy gets to the top uh while uh ernesto is trying to keep uh um our boy general taylor on the ground i do enjoy the 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 dialogue between taylor and ernesto because it's really just the general being a dick to yeah. to keep him uh at, at bay and distract him but but yeah, Which, I, I thought that was fun. I love Ernesto in this. He feels like he's from such a different movie because his character <laughs> is operating in such an area of ambiguity where he's a representative of this like corrupt government who's supposed to like kind of try to like stop and control these U.S. forces, but also supposed to be like a liaison to these U.S. forces. And it's like... <laughs> And he's like, the movie is so not capable of writing that character that (laughs) it's just just very funny to me. He basically does nothing because they don't know really what to do with him. No, like how how do you you deploy this character to make him do anything? Um, He's supposed to be kind of the. The comedic, the comedic element for the third act, but it's never really that funny. It's just like, he's just annoying as shit. Yeah. Um, but he's kind yeah. of supposed to be cause he's a thorn in the side. Like, but the general's so over the top, there's like, for the, I'd be really curious to talk to this actor. Like, how do you act against the guy who's just acting like a maniac? Like this? <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of dialogue between him and, uh, and Colonel Taylor in the helicopter. That's just, batshit exposition and and like <laughs> the car the, the the general basically being like more or less like well i'm gonna go kill a bunch of people with these missiles so i'll see you later ernesto. <laughs> and ernesto's you like you, you can't do that and then he does and then he does <laughs> and exactly he's like that. you're welcome to come along <laughs> and he does he, he comes along and helps him out and uh which is his one mistake he should have stayed back in called the government called the military which doesn't make any sense that he did that. Like, it's so bizarre that um, <laughs> if Ernesto had seriously just stayed back, he would have defeated the entire the entire uh, plan of Delta Force. Because he could have immediately alerted them. Yeah, and they <laughs> would have deployed Kelly. their helicopter. It, it seems like, because they only, it seems like Delta Force has, like, pretty limited firepower and supplies. So it seems like the full military might of the San Carlos could have stopped him i think they could have i think they would have i think they would have stopped him it's it's yeah. it's a it's a bad ernesto oversight really on, fucked up on her yeah ernesto <laughs> probably getting fired uh, uh the monday after this <laughs> although i don't know because the president seems to be unable to control this like rogue general who's funded by this drug dealer so the president might not be too upset that they, like all this shit like got blown up and destroyed and this general who is a massive problem for him on the on the international scene is now gone. Like he may be, he may be secretly happy. This is how it all went. 
Uh, true. I, I I think you might be right. You might be right. <laughs> so I um I enjoy all the helicopter shots of the general just being batshit crazy and and then <laughs> firing missiles at the uh um at the village and at, at uh, uh uh Coda's house later on in this. Um, yeah, and he's just like cackling with delight, <laughs> like killing these people. <laughs> I uh well. It, yeah, it's what well, we, we need to talk about, though, is we need to talk about how once um, Chuck Norris breaks into or sorry, Scott McCoy breaks into Coda's <laughs> house. Uh, he has a showdown with uh, I cannot remember this this henchman's name. He looks like a Latin version of. Um, oh, I know who you're going to say. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, my God. Al Leong. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. From, yeah, from yeah. Uh, Die Hard. I think his name. I think this guy's uh, the character's name is is uh, Carlos. I yes, think. Rick Prieto. Yeah. And, and, uh, so but he, I guess he's I guess he's friends with Chuck Norris and they've done it. They've done some movies before, but he's done some like martial arts stuff stuff with him. So yeah. that's how he, he's done a number of movies um, with Norris over over the years. I uh, uh, so he, they, he they also did stunts on Nightmare on Elm Street four. Is that the Dream Warrior or G- that's Dream Child? God, why do I know that? Tell me, uh, it's right. the Dream Master. Oh God, I'll tell you, man. I, I, just for anybody who is listening, after part three, those movies fucking suck. <laughs> like, they're <laughs> not good. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> Even Freddy vs. Jason, which hey, fortieth anniversary this August of us Earth fortieth, twentieth anniversary of us going to see that <laughs> uh, in theaters. Slightly drunk. Uh, yes, we did. I think I went in an undershirt. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, we didn't even know the movie started because it did such a bad job setting it up. But that's OK. I, I think that might be on us a little bit. <laughs> probably the dr- that's probably the drunkness. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> that in fairness, we tried to go see like an eight o'clock showing and it was sold out. So we had to. We went to the earlier show later. Yeah, right? we, we were required to keep drinking and go to the later show. <laughs> so That's true. We were we not intending to go as drunk as we were. <laughs> but it worked out for the better. <laughs> <laughs> not for anyone else in the theater, but... <laughs> I think they had a good time. We were laughing about as much yeah, as everybody else was. Right. <laughs> eh, fuck those people. I don't care. <laughs> like, I had a good time. <laughs> hey, um, you were at the Evans Movie Theater 20 years ago. Watch a Freddy vs. Jason opening night at 10 p.m. Fuck, Fuck you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Were you drinking uh, too many beers in your high school parking lot before you went to go <laughs> ruin that movie for me? Yes. Fuck you. Um, right, I will so, say, uh, this did pop in my head. My my uh, three-year-old son, I had to watch this in two, in two windows, and uh, my three-year-old just decided because he took a bath he wanted to come climb in bed with me and watch this in our bedroom so he he <laughs> he and he earnestly watched the entire third act of this movie with the helicopter stuff and the crazy um Lim- limo chasing limo chase village stuff and the let's talk about that so like we're all right we're almost, yeah, we're over an hour into this let's talk about yeah. all right so scott scott mccoy gets beat up uh and uh abducted by uh drago who's who's making or drago sorry um, by Coda, <laughs> the guy, the actor's name is Drago. Um, uh, by Coda and his guys, and he wakes up in the gas chamber in the dining room, um, as one does when you're you're at Coda's house. <laughs> yeah, and we've all been there. <laughs> um, 
uh, of course, Coda starts to turn the gas on, and thank God, uh, crazy ass General Taylor starts launching rockets <laughs> uh, willy nilly with no real, you know. Yeah. Let's not forget the mission is to to uh, there's still hostages there. Uh, yeah, get still hostages there. out of this yeah. house and. <laughs> What what is our boy uh, Taylor doing? Just firing fucking rockets straight into the house with no concern on what happens. So McCoy, I guess what is he? He breaks the the glass cracks and then McCoy throws yeah, from the rocket, actually, yeah. which I I I wish they didn't do because they've gone to such lengths to make Norris the one man army. Like, have why not out. just have him? Why not just have him break the glass himself? Like, like who cares? <laughs> like at this point. They made we weird choices about? on what's going to be plausible in this and what's not going to be plausible in this. Right. <laughs> and and that's that's a good point. That's one of them where it's like you chose to go for realism on this one. Like you got to really yeah, yeah. do some stuff. You really shots had to, to think out this. that plot point of how would he escape from that room? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's really important that the audience believes that Scott McCoy yeah. <laughs> can get himself out of this situation. I also enjoy that uh, Coda, instead of just like shooting McCoy and killing him, had to take him to the uh, gas chamber death room <laughs> to kill him there. It's like, well, I guess you spent the money to put the room in. You, you got to use it, it every chance. You, you got to. Like, it's like a hot not, tub. You're not not using it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a hot tub. You got to. I, I put the money in. Yes, the gas bill's more expensive. Do I want to use it though? Yes, because I paid for it. I got to spend the money. I wish there was a scene earlier. He like lectured a, like, a henchman about that. <laughs> <laughs> like killed somebody. Like. We put the fucking room in. We're Go. using it. Stop killing them. <laughs> I want to sit the here, store. eat my breakfast, watch someone get gassed to death. That's why it's there. Go to the store and get a refill on gas because we gotta kill these DA agents. <laughs> Which I will say, the, the the timing of this movie feels like it could take place over two months, or it could have taken place over three days. Like it's really hard to tell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What, but but the uh, the DA agent that the um, uh, agent page that that helps Norris here looks like he's got six weeks of growth of beard at the end of this movie. <laughs> so it's really hard to give any gauge on like where they're at with this. The I don't time think they, I don't think they knew. I think they knew. I think they had a chronolo- uh, a, a chronology for this whole thing, and it, it was very well laid out. <laughs> very well documented and they had a very very tight which obviously we were missing from the first one all the times at the bottom you are of the correct <laughs> holy shit we've come full circle don't we look like assholes now <laughs> we well, could have really used to know the date and time when all this stuff happened <laughs> uh more you than me i feel like i was less concerned about that but you were very upset <laughs> by how by the, the time uh yeah. uh timing uh what do you call them uh uh, uh, title cards, ty- title cards, or whatever. Like, like, yeah, make sure that you know, the chirons that tell us where, where what's going on. Yeah, it's very important. <laughs> April twenty six, seven a.m. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> who fucking cares? Scott McCoy took a Scott McCoy took a dump. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so Which McCoy I, breaks out and he beats yeah. the shit. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I no, no, no. You go ahead. You go ahead. Uh, he beats the shit out of of uh Coda. Uh, along with the help of Agent Page, and then they go into the garage. I actually like this scene. I know you kind of seem like you're on the fence about it. I really enjoy it. They break into yeah. Coda's garage, and while the the rockets are going off, it's like the end of uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, where you have all these special forces guys <laughs> and rockets, and they're just blowing up the the villains' uh, lair at the end. 
And so they go into the to the um, garage. They steal an armored limo, and then they break out uh, out of which I give them like no credit for this. They tie up Coda. He wakes up, and I'm like, he's got to have a weapon stashed in this limo somewhere. And they're, and they're like, no, uh, no issue. We're gonna let him mm. bounce around in the back seat while we we mm-hmm. drive uh, all over San Carlos trying to escape. And and so that's kind of fun. Like you have this this challenge where the uh san uh san carlos general who's corrupt uh who he's yeah we shout to him he's great he plays he plays a good villain he's one of the hench or i'm sorry one of the assassins from scarface the the one that goes to new york to blow up the family yeah mark Um, uh margulis he's also in a breaking bad he's the older he's the guy in the wheelchair the older Mm. villain like drug dealer um, he's he's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been um he, he was in Ace Ventura Pet Detectives. He plays the uh the landlord. <laughs> which I don't but, know why I know. But that. yeah, no. When you watch this, you'll immediately recognize him to to the point where like it almost undermines his character a bit in this because because Coda is so evil. It's just like, oh, I, I've seen this guy too many times to fully buy him. He's like part of this. <laughs> like how incredibly evil all of this is. Yeah. And, and I, I, there's a scene they talk about at the beginning where it makes me laugh, where um, the San Carlos, uh, Carlos president is, is basically holding a press conference to retort uh, or, or respond to general Taylor's accusations of corruption. And at the end of it, they look at each other and they give themselves like this knowing nod of like, all right, did I sell that well enough? And he's like, yep, you did a good job, Mr. President. And he's like, great, thank you, General. <laughs> like, very proud of you both. Wow, he's also was in almost every Darren Aronofsky movie. Interesting. Was he? Yeah. 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 I, I hope that's just because Darren Aronofsky is a huge fan of Delta Force 2. <laughs> uh, it, it's got to be the case. That's the no, only, no only thing I could think of. <laughs> there's no other way. No, no other reason it could possibly be, <laughs> other than this guy is a talented actor. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So uh, they escape out into the uh, the countryside of of San Carlos, and of sure enough, sure as shit, they end up back at the village where Scott McCoy came into the country with um our heroine, uh, and they have a great shootout with. The um, I actually like this shootout because this I think you like this part too. This is like peak '80s action, <laughs> and I think that's yeah. what's really fun about it is like you're you're getting just absolute destruction of henchmen. There's lots of slow mo shots of guys getting gunned down, and like lots of squib work, lots of just yeah. <laughs> people getting getting it's, clipped. It's also where the plot completely falls apart. <laughs> but it were it's fine because you don't care. It's it's 20 minutes of just violence <laughs> it's like all yeah, right it's gonna do this there's a point i really enjoy it up until there's a point in time where they should kill coda yeah and it's very clear and they don't and, and well i guess we'll get into the end like what the payoff for that is supposed to be that doesn't really work never pays um, off but like they're like in firefights and it's great but then there's a point where it seems like, oh, like we, they may actually, like we might lose. They might get Coda back. 
and they should a hundred percent kill him. And it drives me crazy every time watching this movie. They don't just shoot because I don't know what the end game is. Bring him back to face trial again, like why? Well, also, even, like you illegally, like yeah, you, you've also you're also you're also kidnapping somebody from a foreign country, right? <laughs> you know, like, 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 which they establish as a non extradition country. So I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. Going to be some uh yeah some issues here that. <laughs> If you're gonna do this, you gotta be all it's also so funny, like, like oh, I gotta bring him back to face justice. All right, Scott McCoy, who's murdered twenty eight people in this country already. <laughs> like Oh at least you can't murder the one who's the most evil. I uh yeah. I I also enjoyed um this has a lot of bazookas. All of a sudden they introduce bazookas as if they're a character in the movie. And um you get a lot of bazookas just just blowing up bales of hay next to Chuck Norris <laughs> and never actually doing anything. Yeah, this is where it gets very canon action-y of like the just generic <laughs> like and so there's a podcast I love um, it's sad that they didn't get to finish their run but it's called 80s All Over um, and it's these two guys um, I think uh, Drew McQueenie, Scott Weinberg I think but they um, they try to do every 80s movie released theatrically Starting from like January 1980. Holy shit. And doing it a month at a time and just doing all of them. I think they made it around like 85 or so. And then I think it just like was such an undertaking. They eventually like career wise, like had to like just things took them another direction. But it's fantastic. But they talk a lot about how the first like couple of years, especially the first like year or two. Even though it's like 1980, 81, you're still really getting like some movies. You're still really getting their 70s movies because they they were written in the 70s. They started the production process in the 70s. It just took a while for them to get made. And that this always reminds me of that. Of like this is an 80s movie, even though it came out in 1990. Like this is a 1980s movie. Yes, very much so. And they, all so. these action scenes are like the great 80s action tropes. Uh, you know, they get the, the bazookas, um, <laughs> the insane like squib work of <laughs> all these guys. Uzis. I think it says all oh, submachine yeah. guns. Yeah. Yeah. This has this has this has a lot. It, it, they're they're doing they're doing the Lord's work. That's what they're doing. <laughs> and it's the the 80s because it's the. The military, the nineties, they kind of go away from the military aspect. I don't know if we just get too far from Vietnam to plausibly have these like special forces guys or something, but or just get kind of played out. But well, the Cold War we don't the really Cold see War's a lot over. of military action movies. No, well, I think the Cold War is over, and so you have the, you have a, this good villain in the Russians that sort of goes away or disappears because of the the change in political climate. And um, again, that's why, to your point, this is an 80s movie because it's it's based on drug cartels. And it's that was like the big thing in the 1980s, because when this comes out, you know, the Cold War is effectively over. And that's why I feel I said, I, I feel like this is an episode or two of Miami Vice that just got repurposed <laughs> into a movie because it's 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 almost the the plot. Actually, now that I say that, it's almost the plot of um uh episode one of Miami Vice season one and then Cal- <laughs> Calderon's return to switch switch Calderon with uh, Coda and you've kind of got the same same thing except 
you have much less charismatic uh, characters all throughout this yeah. than you do Miami Vice <laughs> season one. Just and way less talent less. behind the behind the camera. You've got my, Michael Mann. Um, I think he was directing the first couple episodes of that and producing it. Yeah, yeah, a little bit different. Which Ted, I, I feel bad criticizing Aaron Norris and the directing on this movie too much because in both of our we can't talk about it. Kind of slows down in the middle. Yeah, um, but then at the end here, it really kind of picks back up. The action really gets going. And that, but it hits a point where I get a little bored. And some of it's just like the pacing and the editing is everything is so like perfunctory. Everything is just so functional. Of like, okay, like Chuck Norris walks into a room in like a wide shot. It goes to like a, a like half shot of him, like a two shot of him with another character. Maybe you get one close up of something they're looking at, goes back to the two shot, like scene ends. And it's, it's like very repetitive, of like that kind of structure. And so it just and the scenes are not the, the, the most dynamic, like <laughs> written, like writing. Or like, but I also know like Cannon was not doing well financially. So like if Aaron Norris was like, well, yeah, I had like two other setups I wanted to do on those scenes, but we had X number of days to shoot it. And so we did three setups on that scene and had to move on. So that's the coverage we got and like what it is. It's like, I I think sometimes feel bad criticizing directors on some of these movies. Cause it's like, they gave you like a day to shoot the scene. And so that's all you could get. And like, there's no, like you got to get the basic coverage so you can edit it into a movie. And then you had to move on. It's like, and you could see like maybe why going into TV for them was a good move because that works much better in TV. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I, I think um, it's probably not Aaron Norris's fault. I, I'm sure this is a victim of low budget or budget maybe being spent in other areas that 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 aren't like super not, creative yeah. to the overall and movie. Not to say. Aaron Norris was secretly Michael Mann and like could have done that, but yeah, I think I'm history, also sure he. I, I think history will prove that true that you're we're okay <laughs> on that one. Yeah, we uh, should. I'm sure there are things he wanted to do that he was not able to. We should talk about while we're talking about the crew, and we didn't talk about this earlier. I really wanted to hit oh, on this. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a big one. I I really enjoyed it because I've seen a bunch of this guy's movies, and now oh, I'm which ones? Like a, yeah, now I'm just like a fucking creep when I say that. Uh, but uh, Jal Fernandez is a guy I think we've talked about a couple times on the on this. He is the director of photography, director of photography for Delta Force Two. Um, he's also done uh, uh, some other really interesting movies. Um, I don't think we've covered all of them yet, but uh, he did The Prowler. We're, we're going to cover it. He did Invasion USA. He did Missing in Action, Children of the Corn, um, Friday the 13th. Uh, he was also the director of photography for uh, Deep Throat in 1972, <laughs> which is the most uh, sort of well-known porn movie in history. <laughs> and then he also directed a lot of other pornos called, uh, let's see, Love Toy, um, The Story of Joanna, Pretty Kill. But I think it's important to say like, you're talking all about the 70s when these were probably released in theaters. <laughs> like, Yeah, true. It's a different time for for making porn movies than 
the 80s meaning it was more 90s. of an art than, like, it, than it is today or even in 1980 89 yeah like yeah like it's um i, I don't know i just think it's, it's just a, a very different like he's still like they're still being made on like film and <laughs> uh, well and it was interesting is it, it does feel like in like ooh, sex boat sex boat oh i love that, that sounds movie. pretty good um, uh it does feel like in about 1980 or 1982 he he goes into more mainstream filmmaking and kind of, and kind of steps away from from that but it's interesting like I, I i had only known him before we watched this i really only known him as like oh, i really enjoyed the the aesthetic in friday the 13th part four and i had seen the prowler i think you might have watched it this year too and that's that's another slasher from also from the early 80s where it seems like he, he may have gotten his start so I, or like his more legitimate start with with movies I really enjoyed the aesthetic of what he he does in movies, but then I saw his his history and I'm like, oh shit, okay, this guy this guy's got an interesting background. Uh, yeah. Other stuff he's done. So, which is funny because a Chuck Norris movie is about as far like he's the it, cinematographer on Forest Warrior. That's about as far from doing porn as you can get. Yeah, it's like it doesn't make a lot of sense, but maybe people were just they were digging digging what he was his vibe was. So I don't know, like, uh, but, but like, yeah, what, I mean he's like works a ton with chuck norris on mm-hmm. chuck norris movies like and does walker texas ranger episodes and like just wild jal fernandez did porn but probably um retired on the royalties of uh um uh what do you call it uh walker texas ranger too man i'm uh i'm gonna look up if there is any like good articles about or like about this guy of like yeah yeah, because there's got to be something out there. Cause it's too wild not to have a. He worked up until about looks like about 2006, yeah. and it was a lot of just. He did the, oh, uh, that's Expendables TV movies. That's not the same thing, but he he just did a lot of, yeah, Walker Texas Ranger. Excuse me, TV movies and stuff like that towards the end of his career, and you know called it a day he probably just kind of a <laughs> kind of a jobber at the end of this right yeah, yeah i mean he just kept working he kept i mean it must have been like get along well with people because he kept kind of working with some a lot of the same people and you know yeah hey good for him knew what he was doing good friends with linda lovelace so good for him um <laughs> uh well hey so now we're at the end of this movie let's let's talk about the complete lack of payoff uh oh, for the yeah. uh for the third act yeah so we spend the t- like last 20 minutes of the movie where the whole motivation is McCoy <laughs> getting Coda out. We don't really know why they never tell us really why he wants to do that, but that's what he's trying to do. Is it get- seems like, it seems like they, 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 they tease it as if it's an honor thing that he must get him back yeah. in custody so that like, so that like he, mm. he justice can be served for Bobby is, is what it, it feels like the, the pretext for that is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but so they spend like twenty minutes of, and it's like the impetus for everything. And there's like, if McCoy didn't have to get him out, like, it'd be a hundred times easier for him to leave and like rendezvous with the like the other Delta Force people and like get the hell out of here. <laughs> but because he's like got Coda, they're all chasing after him, and like the whole military's coming, and so <laughs> and. So they the helicopter drops like ropes down, like harnesses, and like both 
Coda and McCoy are being pulled up by the helicopter on his harnesses, getting pulled up into the helicopter. And, and Coda starts like mouthing off of like, oh, it, like I'm just going to get let off again and like be free. And then I'm going to come after you and like kill you and like everyone. Like, and then like McCoy is like, I don't, I don't even know what he says, but you see him like start like slowly pulling like a knife out. And I guess they've gone way up in the air. <laughs> He just like cuts the rope. Oh, they're, that... they're 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 dozens of miles in the air at this point. Yes, yeah, seemingly. Yes, <laughs> he cuts the rope by holding Coda up, and lets him just fall to his death. Um, presumably, fall to his death. <laughs> and it's well, like, well, if you're gonna do that, you could have done that 20 minutes ago and <laughs> speared us all of this bullshit. Well, and you, you skipped it, or we skipped it, but there's the whole thing with um. Uh, the woman who was raped yes. comes back. You think it's yeah. going to be she? That would be the perfect payoff. Is the person who's been wronged the most in this movie gets by something. Coda? She gets to defeat him in a in a knife fight in the woods, and then that's going to be the the punctuation for the whole movie. Nope, Coda gets the upper hand, stabs her in the stomach. She fucking dies. Yeah, they really. It, it, it was such a brutal bad, character. Yeah, it's like it, it was just a. Well, it goes back to what we talked about before, right? Canon hates women, and yeah. it's just really so what they you're could never here. like they couldn't even let her get the best of the bad guy. Like, nope. Yep. She's gotta. She's gotta go. So let's 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 have uh, Coda dispatch her, with and then have no payoff to what her character has has gone right. Because and that's such a perfect solution because it lets McCoy still like be the honorable hero. I mean, sort of. They've destroyed this whole village and stuff. But anyway, for the world of this movie that they're trying to present. Still was trying to take him back alive to face justice, and that like and like, but we the view audience have a catharsis having this woman kill him, like having McCoy like just kill him after going through all this. Like, well, so everything was fucking pointless. Like, what? Like, this guy's a dumbass. Kinda, and he lets him die. Like, he's either gonna kill him, or to your point, he's gonna let it, or or he he's gonna let him die. So it's like, well, then why did why did we watch the entire third act? Why did you break out of the facility with you know or his his compound without? Just killing him first. It's just strange. It's just it's just there's no payoff. It's the most uh, obvious yeah. but but ham fisted and poorly done part of this movie. Yeah, and it's it feels like such a choice of like oh, we need the military, we need these people to keep coming after him and this like motivation, like we want these action scenes. But then we need McCoy to kill him at the end. We want that to be the finale where he kills him at the end. And it's like, well, then none of this adds up. Like, nope. Um, and I get like it wouldn't have necessarily like I don't know, but you know, you're absolutely right. It would have been perfect to have the woman kill him in that knife fight because then it wouldn't have been much longer for him to get out. Um, and so that would have been the perfect like yeah, and, and then it would have been like three minutes later he's like Ronda is like getting pulled up into the helicopter. <laughs> And movie's over, and everyone's happy, <laughs> and we've all would have been happy, but yeah, nope, those fuckers, they fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, I um, I do enjoy how how ham fisted this end ending is because it does feel like a very canon movie of they're so focused on like we gotta get all these action scenes in and like keep the motivation up for why the the bad guys <laughs> would be after him that we've got to just do this stuff just to guarantee that um. Um, we have action scenes, whether it makes sense or not. So it, yeah, it, it's all yeah. it's all it's, it's all focused on servicing um 
shitty plot and not not uh making this movie make any kind of sense yeah now nah, they there it seems like their decisions made we have to have this and then yeah they just i don't fair away <laughs> uh, but you know no no i mean can't complain too much they made it just for me released it on my seventh birthday was that is it on your birthday? I was I was trying to it's look that on up my while birthday. Talking. That's right. Okay. So what were you doing on your seventh birthday and why was it not watching Delta Force 2? Because <laughs> I was seven. That's not an excuse. I watched it with a three-year-old, so go, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I have no idea what I would have been doing on my seventh birthday. You should definitely talk to your parents about why, yeah, why you had a bad birthday. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, very curious to try to tr- track back and see what that would have been. I mean, I'm sure having like a birthday party of some sorts, but uh, I mean, we could only hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is normally what happened. Maybe uh, I think the first Ninja Turtle movie came out in 1990, so might have had a Ninja Turtle cake. It was. I, I would guess I had a Ninja Turtle cake. Would be would be my guess. <laughs> you would guess. I believe I'm I'm going to the the operating theory that that, that was, my, I, was I, I do remember going to see Ninja Turtles in theaters so you I probably did the same thing but yeah yeah I remember I'm not positive whether or not I saw it in theater I know we owned it on VHS and watched it like a shitload oh yeah then oh yeah well so that, right, what go ahead Home Alone for 1990 oh my the kids two, watched, two watched big the VHS. shit out of that. Yeah, I've seen that a billion times with the kids at like Christmas. Stuff. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely getting getting old for me. <laughs> I I can handle it within like the window of like December. I'm yeah. Like, okay. Like I'm I'm game. But yeah, after after that, I'm kind of like, all right, all right, that's that's I'm good yeah, for a while. Like, guys, we need a, we need a break. We need a break because my kids yeah. call it Kevin. We're, I want to watch Kevin movie, and I'm like, <laughs> all right, watch Kevin movies. Mm, nice. So how would you rank? I guess there's any other comments you've got on on Delta Force uh, Two. Let me look. Let me double check. I, I, I was going I through my notes. So. I yeah. was still I was still blown away that this was a 16 million dollar budget on a six million dollar box office, at least domestically. So, um, I think that uh, that this is definitely the end of canon. Again, I, I we talked about it a little bit, but um, this is I think one of the first movies that's post Golan Globus is split. Uh, yeah. Where uh, Menheim uh, Golem has has left left canon at this point, and this is being directed by uh, Globus, which who seems to have a much less um, uh, emphatic perspective he wants to 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 impress <laughs> upon people in these movies. Yeah, and it, it's like fittingly, this is kind of like the end of like audience. This is not what audiences want anymore. Like no. No, not like at all. this was like five years ago would have been a good canon hit, and it's like you're just not keep you're not able to keep up with where where audiences are going. Um, <laughs> if I'm they were a, ever able to, so <laughs> I, I think I'm gonna have to go uh, two and a half out of five gas chamber death rooms. Two and a half out of five gas chamber death rooms. That's a pretty good one. I gave this. Two out of five bulletproof limousines. Uh, <laughs> I um, I enjoy the the action sequences in this. Anything in between is pretty tough to get through. Uh, I think 
far and away my favorite part of this movie is the the general general taylor in this yeah. and just how big that guy goes in every <laughs> single thing he does I, it's so much yeah. fun because it's so, it's so crazy <laughs> yeah i think the first like 20 30 minutes of this are really out there crazy and i love it's like it's and then the in middle the middle boring. there's like 20 to 30 minutes that are a little boring and then it picks back up at the end but the plot kind of falls apart um but in a way that's like what are they doing <laughs> so uh I find it much more rewatchable than the first one just because it's it, it, either cr- it's just there's a good chunk of things that are like crazy but entertaining. I it, it knows where its bread is buttered and I think that's yeah, that's an important yeah, it's, it's aware of what it is yeah, to a much um, better better degree. I think it's what's important here is it's not as earnest as Delta Force 1's trying to be and fails at. Yeah. And I think it. I think it's smarter. It's smarter for playing more to what its what its abilities are. Yeah, and it's it's when I put on a Chuck Norris movie, like this is basically what I want. What I'm like, what I'm hoping to get. So it's, it's like getting close. So we'll have to get to what we're doing. But I, so maybe Invasion USA is the pinnacle of this. But it's getting think, close I, to the platonic ideal of a Chuck Norris movie. I think Invasion USA is peak Norris. Yeah, it's I, it's bad acting, better, bad shit plot, <laughs> and and a lot of karate and explosions and guns. And it's I been a little bit since I've seen that one, so I, I gotta yeah, same, full I, judgment. But that's kind of my memory too. Like it really is. <laughs> I just remember that they blow up a neighborhood, and that that neighborhood was Atlanta, <laughs> Atlanta, because they they were gonna build, they were gonna level yeah. it for um for expanding uh, Hartsfield Airport. Yeah, that's all I really remember about Asian <laughs> USA, and then of course um. Uh, uh, the guy getting shot in the dick, like I talked about earlier, <laughs> <laughs> who's in this movie as well. Who can forget? So, who, I mean, that's one of my favorite parts. I will say, go check it out. Where, um, on YouTube, the the video of God, I'm gonna get it wrong. It's the guy's name's not Rousedower. That's from <laughs> that uh, Mr. Science Rousedower. Rousedower. <laughs> um, uh, what is the guy's name? Um, really want to just talk about Rousedower now. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Rostov is the guy. He he smashes a a a coke straw through a woman's face and then shoots a guy in the that's dick. Right. And that's in one scene. In one scene. Uh, I'm so excited. I can, we're we're gonna talk about it in about two weeks, I think. Um, what do we? So my suggestion was, I think we're gonna do a kind of a patriotic run here. Uh, my suggestion was to kind of keep it somewhat in the canon theme. Um, Captain America from 1990 yeah. is covering that. I, you've never seen it, right? I have not. It's woo, buddy. I, I, I loved it as a kid. Um, can't promise you it aged well. <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm not expecting it to. <laughs> and it's directed by our boy uh, Albert Pyun that that directed Cyborg. So. Ooh. We're gonna get a repeat. It's also streaming on Amazon right now. Okay, that's why I was about to try to look up where where can we find this. I'm surprised actually because it, it, I remember renting yeah. this from uh, um, Blockbuster as a kid, and it being sort of like this unknown, like holy shit, I found a Marvel movie uh, 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 on VHS before Marvel movies were really a thing. So. I'm pretty yeah, excited about it. It's one I've looked for from time to time 
and a lot of times you just can't find it. Yeah, I think um, I, I haven't looked at who the production company was. I don't think it was Canon, right? Because they owned Spider-Man, or at least they had owned it Christian. around this time and sold it back to maybe maybe back to Marvel. Um, I am not familiar. Well, we can go. Might be something time. we'll have to uh, yeah have to figure out. But it's got Ned Beatty. It's got it's got JD Salinger's kid, and it's got <laughs> uh, Dick Jones himself, uh, Ronnie Cox as the president of the United States. Ooh. Which I am I am pretty excited to. I'm I'm actually excited to see this. I have probably not seen this in thirty years. So, yeah, no, I. I which means I'm sure in no I'm way, just shape, or form. Looking at it now, so yeah, I'm excited. And sh- I'm sure in no way, shape, or form will this be disappointing or a bad. Movie <laughs> yeah, it'll be everything you ever wanted from a movie. So it's exactly yeah, so we're gonna do that. Invasion USA to uh, round out our uh, kind of around Memorial Day patriotic run. And then maybe go into the to Indiana Jones in the preparation for uh, the Dial of Destiny. Yeah, so I think we we talked about it. We're not quite sure how we're going to do the order yet, but I think we were talking about. Maybe I, I doing, like your idea. Reverse. You want to do it backward? Okay, so we, we we may go backwards and do Crystal Skull, uh, Last Crusade, Temple of Doom, and then uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then end it with covering what is the Dial of Destiny. I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the idea. It's like, I just made that shit up. I don't know. What it's called. Uh, Indiana Jones and de-aging CGI. I think it's what ah, it's called. <laughs> that will be, I think that's what's going to make this better is we're going to go, we're going to step further and further away as we go into this from uh, uh, computer <laughs> computer uh, imaging. Yeah. I think that's probably the, my, my favorite part already is um, uh, we're going to, we're going to, get rid of we're gonna get crystal skull out of the way we're gonna knock it out and we're gonna move straight into the the good ones i think yeah that's what i'm kind of excited of because it feels like it feels like eating it feels like crystal skull at the end i mean I, and i like that one just fine but we'll talk about it but saving it for the end feels like like eating your dinner but then having your vegetables for dessert <laughs> like that's a good that's a very polite way to describe it yeah <laughs> Uh, was it a Spielberg one? Did Spielberg do Crystal Skull? Yeah. Yep. Okay. He did. So I, I went to go see, I've seen two out of the four that are out in theaters. I saw Crystal Skull. Oh, okay. Okay. In theaters. And then I yeah, saw, I saw that. Uh, Last Crusade in theaters. So. Hmm. Hmm. And I wasn't born for the first one and I was one years old <laughs> for the second one. So we'll see. So I guess you could, I guess you could have seen Temple of Doom in theater. <laughs> Just weren't aware. Uh, it's possible. As a one-year-old, <laughs> it's definitely possible. My dad was an archaeologist. He had a poster of Raiders of the Lost Ark on his on his uh, the door to his lab. So I, it, it's very yeah. possible. <laughs> it's very possible. My dad was uh, uh, Indiana Jones. <laughs> so all right, wow. impressive. Well, I will see you next week for uh, I, our. I, <laughs> go ahead. No, please go, go, go. I just You're can't not... believe how much shit is in this movie. Delta Force Two, yeah. like. I feel shit? we like could have spent want... another hour like hammering all this craziness. Do you want to talk about Delta Force Three real quick and how it's like uh, with Mike Norris and a bunch Mike of other Norris. famous actors' kids? Yeah, who are the other famous actor kids that are in in that? I, I have not. Looked. I think there's a Cassavetes, one of the Cassavetes. Oh, is it Nick Cassavetes? I think there might be a um, like Michael Douglas's kid or something. Oh, I got to look now. I all don't right. know. I might be wrong on that one. Yeah, um, no, Nick Cassavetes. Um, Eric Douglas, don't know you. Yeah. Mike Mike Norris, Matthew Penn, 
which I feel like that's gotta be like Sean Penn's younger brother or something. And and then okay. I don't recognize the rest of the names. There's two I <laughs> but still <laughs> so, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I will All catch right. you next week. Captain <laughs> America. <laughs>